0: Mac Power Users, episode 207, Mac Power Users Live. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie Floyd, how are you?
1: I'm great, David. I uh, always get a, a big boost out of doing these MPU live shows.
0: Yeah, I look forward to the first Saturday of the month. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, especially, you know, seeing the feedback come in over the month and, and knowing that we have a realistic chance of dealing with it because we now have these live shows every month.
1: Well, uh, we, we, we got a lot of feedback, a lot, a lot, yeah, a lot of did. feedback, especially yeah, on a, our it, vacation episode and our Mac at Work episode and uh, tech and education. And we whew,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I wrote a lot of people back saying, I'm going to get it in. I'm not sure I got it all in. So if I didn't, I apologize, but please keep it coming. And we may even get some of this this extra stuff in next month. But uh, we're here for a live show, and we've got a chat room loaded, and it's a beautiful Saturday morning. And I think we should just get rolling with this.
1: Yeah. And we have a guest this episode, uh, one of uh, my favorite Mac-using attorneys. Of course, present company accepted. We've got all Mac using attorneys here on the Skype call. Um, But Victor, welcome. Victor Medina, welcome to Mac Power Users. Hey,
2: thanks, Katie. Thanks, David. I appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Yeah. I um, have been aware of Victor for a while. Uh, He's been very prominent in the um, Max in Law Office discussion board. And then Victor invited me um, to his conference, uh, MiloFest, which is the Max in Law Office conference, uh, which we'll be talking about a little bit later. Uh, But I learned at that conference, just talking to Victor, that he does some really cool things using Max in his office, um, some of which Most of which I think are actually applicable to many areas of practice, not just legal practice. So um, I know one of the things that you do is is you're an attorney who practices elder law and estate planning, and as a result of that, you've got kind of a unique client base that you have to cater to.
2: Absolutely, and uh, I thought that we probably needed to sound start with the disclaimer because I know that in the past when you guys have had three lawyers on at the same time, you, you wanted to warn everybody not to. Stop listening because it actually
0: might be interesting for them. So we're going to try to keep that going. There are actually there are actually several physicians out there right now just taking a crowbar to their their iPhone right now (laughs) at this moment. Okay. (laughs) So my
2: the population that I serve are seniors, and many times they are homebound and very difficult for them to get to our office to do any kind of legal planning. And at the same time, they're facing sort of one of those emergent needs. You know, they can't wait for themselves to get better because what they need is right away. So one of the things that we started doing is we created this program called ELDERS. And that stands for the Easy Legal Document Early Response Service. It's about as corny a name as I could put together, but all the letters fit for the and, word and ELDERS.
1: You, you came up with that yourself, I'm guessing.
2: <laughs> I didn't consult a, a marketing company, uh, I guess. Uh, you, should, and- you should totally sell that.
0: Yeah. No. So it's, it's either brilliant or it's one of those things that you write down on a piece of paper when you're drunk and you stick in a drawer and, and find it later. I'm not sure which one.
2: <laughs> it fits nicely on the brochures that we created and we needed to get those things printed. So it was much better than trying to fit the words Mac and law office anywhere else, because I've already done that a couple of times. All right. So yeah, I can see that. So what we did was we tried to create a way, because we're a really busy law firm. I'm not a solo practitioner. I work with uh, a team here. I'm sort of the lead attorney. There's one other attorney here. And it's really tough for us to make house calls uh, in the same way that it would be if we were just by ourselves. So one of the things that we did was try to come up a way to uh, get in front of these seniors and do the planning that they needed to do and keep our attorneys here uh, busy in the office and, and seeing other clients so that's not a lot of traveling on the road. We don't have a mobile law office or anything like that, which by the way, is maybe how I might put it together, Milo. I'll have to think about that for the future. So what we did was we put uh, a notary out in the field, somebody who's a care coordinator and goes out and, and visits these people and she takes her full screen iPad And she FaceTimes back into the office. And now because you can FaceTime from the iPad to the Mac, we didn't need to have an iPad back in the office. We could just have them FaceTime back onto the computers and set up meetings where they were meeting with the seniors, you know, in the nursing home or if they're homebound in their house to have that meeting to be able to do the design And because everything was really centered about getting stuff done quickly, our promise when we sort of offer this service is that we're doing the drafting on the spot. And so after they're done with the meeting, the documents get drafted. They're sort of quick and dirty. And then they get sent off electronically to this notary who's on site. And she has a printer. And she sends it from her iPad to the printer, prints out all of the documents, and uh, in that time, back in the office, they've already got them saved to a PDF. Uh, she signs all the documents, takes pictures, which is another word for scans, of the signature pages, sends those back to uh, the, our office here, and they attach them to the back of the PDF. So we have a nice completed set of electronic documents. The clients have got their uh, paper documents, and we were able to kind of wrap it up in about 40 minutes.
1: Wow. Okay. So your person out in the field, what what is in their bag? They've got, uh, and I, yeah, so just tell me what's in their bag.
2: Yeah, So sure. they, They've got it like a legal crash cart. Um, and so they have, because we want some redundancy, they have a full screen iPad Air. So that way they can uh, connect and it's got a cellular connection. You know, we've paid for that. We also send them out with a, a MiFi just in case. Um, but they're dialing back into the office using the iPad. Uh, they also have an AirPrint compatible printer, so that they can send the PDFs to be printed out in that sort of legal crash cart. Uh, and now, just, I'm just
1: curious about this. Is this a? Have you found a good small AirPrint printer, or are they lugging out like a big Epson something something?
2: Yeah, it's a pretty big, you know, uh, HP printer. Um, it isn't huge, but is the, you know, is big enough that they need to strap it to
0: wheels to bring it around. Okay. It's interesting that HP, they've been really the ones to jump onto AirPrint the most. Every time I go looking at printers, it seems like HP has the most options for people that want to use an iPad or iPhone.
1: In fact, I just got one this Christmas, um, you know, it was one of those Black Friday specials. I went to buy it for somebody else and I thought, hmm, let me just add two to my cart. And now I've got an HP AirPrint printer in my closet. It's great.
0: Yeah.
2: And we've sort of tried the, the app solution for that. And it just constrains our ability to print. You know, when we use an AirPrint compatible printer, it makes it a lot easier, but I've flirted with the idea of finding something that was smaller uh, than essentially essentially using, you know, something like printer pro uh, just to send that out. But then I've got to maintain the same wifi, you know, um, network everywhere we go to make sure that it's linked in. So I didn't play with that. I just went with the air printer, which by the way,
0: the consumables are ridiculously expensive. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But, but you can buy, is it, is it inkjet or la- or laser? So what we have is an inkjet. Yeah. Yeah. Some, I read somewhere that the inkjet ink is more expensive than human blood. And I suspect that's correct. But um, we, I can just tell you for ours, we have on occasion, I think on Amazon, there's some third party vendors that make replacement cartridges that are like a third of the price. And uh, the tests we've done at our house, we can't really tell that it looks any different and it doesn't seem uh, to last quite as long, but it definitely is cheaper.
1: Yeah, but sometimes you get into the issues where the, the printers now get very particular about, are they going to let you use generic ink? And it's it's yeah. just this game you play. All right, so your, yeah. your notary goes out in the field, they've got an iPad Air, they've got an AirPrint printer, um, and then I guess they're not using a mobile scanner, they're just taking pictures of the signature page with the printer, and they're FaceTiming back to the office um, with someone back in the office who's actually drafting documents, and then sending them back right on the fly.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because we're uh, syncing some of these documents online, uh, it makes it pretty easy for them to pull it down when they're done. Um, You know, we don't kind of mess around with sending them by email. The documents are small enough so that, you know, they're not taking a lot of space. And uh, we do a lot of the heavy lifting, the truck related work back in the office. So when we take pictures of those signature pages, kind of uh, running them into black and white and cleaning them up. That's something that we do at the home
0: office with the computer and not anything that we try to do with the iPad. Now, do you do payment on the field too? So if this person shows up and they create an estate plan, do they pay for it right then too? They do. We use Square um, to okay. collect
2: credit card payments. And so sometimes people say, we'll pay you when you show up as opposed to over the phone. We like that in the office because it saves us 1%. On the uh, transaction fees if we can swipe it versus having to key it in. So we just have a, what I like about Square, there are a lot of solutions out there. and, And then, you know, lawyers have to be sure about making sure that the money that they put in doesn't have to go into a trust account. Thankfully, I'm in a jurisdiction, I can just put that right into an operating account. But one of the things that I like about Square is I can actually set up additional accounts under the master account. So, Uh, the person who's out there in the notary field, she can accept payments, but she can't otherwise log into the system and she doesn't have the authority to issue refunds. That's all done with the master login, but we can just set it up for, you know, that field person. In fact, because I'm in the office and we've got multiple people working with clients and collecting payments, we have additional uh, accounts set up on different devices. I mean, perfect use for an old iPhone 4 that I had that I replaced with a new iPhone five was just to kind of turn it into a Wi Fi device,
0: an iPod Touch of sorts that all it does is collect payments. Very cool. So, what what was the unexpected challenges you faced when you set this whole thing up? I'm sure there's a few things that you didn't expect that went wrong.
2: Yeah, one of the biggest uh, things was uh, trying to rely on um, the connectivity inside of uh, a facility or inside of the person's home. So setting up redundancy for cellular connections and with multiple carriers was one of the way we solved the problem that we had in the field unexpectedly.
0: Yeah, every time I go to yeah, cuz like every time I go to like a medical facility, the the, three, the the LTE connections terrible because they've got so many, you know, things in there and equipment and x-ray rooms that it seems like you're almost in a Faraday cage.
2: Yeah, with nothing coming through. So on the iPad, we run that on Verizon. And on our MiFi device, we run that through, uh, flip that, I'm sorry. The the MiFi device is Verizon and the iPad itself is AT&T. And we just, you know, take our best shot to make sure that, um, that that's what
0: will work, what one of them will work when we get there. Um, and then mix the pictures. Lot, mix, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So you've got both networks covered. I, I used to recommend that for people. Like if your phone is on AT&T, and you're gonna get an iPad, and you want to go with the LTE version of the iPad. Why not get one on a different network, and that way you've got the ability to connect through either network if you need to. Uh, that being said, with the last iPad, I bought one with my the same network as my phone because I just wanted to include it in the plan for ten bucks a month. It seemed like that was a lot more economical.
2: Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with whether or not that type of connectivity is, you know, not to use a buzzword, but mission critical. You know, so we, yeah. we didn't set out originally to do that. We thought we could get away with just one cellular character um, carrier,
0: but you know, it turns out that we needed two in order to provide this service. Any were there any other challenges that you that surprised you as you set this up? I think
2: the other one was the one that you know I kind of already gave you the how we did the answer, which is we tried to manage all of the signature pages and the creation of the PDF and do that all on site so that the attorney's time didn't have to get taken up, kind of working with documents. And we found that that was cumbersome. You know, first of all, it took away from the experience because one of the nice things about the notary is that she's also somebody that was trained in social work. So she's actually making nice with the families and keeping them comfortable while we kind of do the heavy lifting back in our office. But not only was She not particularly up to the task of, you know, working with the iPad in the field. And, you know, she wasn't a gearhead when it came to manipulating PDFs that way. Um, But it also seemed like it was a lot faster and a lot simpler just to send those pages back off to the um, attorneys in the office, let them manipulate them and put together the the documents and send it back.
1: Excellent. Well, that's a unique Solution to a problem that, you know, I think is applicable in many types of of practice and maybe not just law, but I can see it in in social work and in all kinds of, of areas where you need to interface with people who can't physically come into your office.
2: Yeah, for us, it really started and grew out of this idea that that employee was our first sort of iOS only employee. You know, and we had to kind of think about um, solutions for her out in the field generally. You know, we use a a, um, a project management or customer relation uh, software called Daylight in the office. And one of the things that we needed to do was sort of think about her as an iPad-only employee and how that integrated with that practice management or or customer relations software that we were using in the office as well. So this program kind of grew out of the fact, well, she's only out in the field with an iPad only, you know, and for us that started because I wanted some device that would have a battery life long enough to last the entire day. And that was before we had the newest uh, laptops with the nine or 10 hour battery. So when we put her out in the field, the iPad was the easy choice to keep her working all day.
1: Now, are you using daylight to manage your entire practice and to put all your information in there?
2: Yeah, we leaned on daylight as being the solution for us. So I kind of had an interesting journey because I've had to, when I started out in practice, it was just me. Um, Then I started to bring more team members along and grow. And I kind of had to live through all of the growing pains of how to go from somebody that could just You know, adopt a Mac and just throw it out in the field, and you know, just kind of work with it. To needing to manage a team, manage a practice that was larger than anything that I could handle just on my own, and I looked at various solutions. And for me, uh, Daylight became the best solution to do that. Now, Daylight is not a an. law specific program. Um, It is a project management program or customer relations uh, software that lots of different industries use, but we use it for uh, everything in in our practice.
0: Well, we've covered daylight in the past, but not recently. And to me, it stands out there as really the premier office management native app Mac tool out there. I mean, there's a whole group of those that are trying to do that from the cloud now. But Daylight has always been the one on the Mac. I have a soft spot in
2: my heart for those Mac-only solutions. You know, we have a document management solution that's Mac-native or Mac-only. The same thing with the folks at Market Circle who are behind Daylight. And so yeah. I started out, you know, kind of with a soft spot to try to make that work. And it's just worked really beautifully in our practice. Now, yeah, has the, the fact that are, it's
1: sorry, has the fact that it's been Mac only been any kind of detriment to you? Because uh, occasionally we have to uh, interface with folks on the PC side. Um, has that created any problems?
2: It's a great question. And thankfully my practice doesn't have me dealing with a lot of other lawyers. Uh, in fact, we don't deal with a lot of people outside of our clients in their world. Now, first of all, I don't like lawyers very much. They're not a fun group except for you know, the people that we all know. but Wow, you, you just really hurt me,
0: Victor. That hurt. <laughs> that
2: hurt and God. so I, I found that I could control it a lot more by just keeping everything on the Mac. So I haven't faced a lot of the challenges of having to share documents or share things that we were doing on the PC side. So we didn't see a challenge that way. Um, I think one of the things that we saw as a challenge was, um, you know, kind of, growing with the program and having it be something that's very, very complex uh, from the beginning. Of, well, I don't want to say this complex, but it has a lot of different utility. And you can implement different parts of it and still feel like you've only scratched the surface with 30 or 40%. So for me, using Daylight has not been an exercise in frustration versus the PC, but it's been an exercise a little bit of you know, trying to learn more and more about it or use it better and better because there's all this functionality, and I'm only using maybe 40 or 50% of it, or at least when I started, even less than that.
0: You know, and I would add to that, I, I don't think Daylight would really cause a problem if you are in an industry where everybody else was on PCs, because Daylight is a very inside-facing app. It's the app that allows you to set the calendar and deal with the email and blah, blah, blah on your internal side. Um, the people on the outside aren't going to be accessing that data, or, or probably, hopefully not. Um, so I don't think it would really hold you up.
2: And not at all, because one of the things that you interact at the outside most is with email, right? People sending you email. And one of the nice things about Daylight as a solution, especially when you're in a multi-user environment, is that it has a uh, an advantage additional program, and add-on to mail that allows you to link emails to projects. So it actually facilitates working with people on the outside, especially if they're communicating with you by email, where you're in fact, with a click of a button, linking that email to the project. And again, you can do that with each user can do that independently, right? It's easy enough to kind of filter email messages into a hierarchical folder system if you're the only person touching that email. But when there are other team members that are touching those emails, we try to figure out how do we kind of link it and put it all under one project. Daylight allows you to do that because their Daylight Mail Assistant is a mail add-on that reads the user, uh, the, sorry, the person who's sending you the email, reads the subject of it, um, and then allows you and suggests you know, the, the project. And you just click and say, yes, that's what I want. And you can also attach – you can click to it to have the attachments linked to the
0: email and then therefore linked to the project. So in terms like, of working with the outside world. Yeah. And that's a lot more intuitive. There, there are solutions like that on the PC side. I've used my office actually uses an application to do this, a similar thing with emails, but I counted once and I, I would have to click the mouse six times to get an email attached to a matter, which is crazy. I mean, when you think about the amount of email you get, so, um, you know, Mark, market circle does a good job of this. They also have a billing solution, which integrates really well with it. I don't know if you're using that or not.
2: We are. And I like that, uh, for one sort of really neat ninja move. So what's cool about daylight is they also have iOS versions, uh, or, you know, apps that that integrate with their program. So they've got daylight touch and it's for the iPhone and it's for the iPad. And there's, you know, it's not a it's not a doubling thing. you know. They, they actually have two separate programs. What's cool about it for the iPhone is it's also a contact management system, right? So you dump all of your contacts in there, their phone numbers, emails, and whatnot. So what you can do is you can actually start a phone call from inside of the Daylight app. So you click it, you say call, you conduct your call, and you hang up. And when you go back to the Daylight Touch app, it actually prompts you to record that time. So for people who are in a world where they're hourly billing, you know, any, any industry consulting, development, where they're sort of tracking that and they want to make sure that not only are they capturing all of their time, but maybe their team members are doing that well as sort of like a management exercise, forcing them or having a policy to say you start all your phone calls from inside a daylight lets it be uh, a lot more uh, certain that you're going to be able to capture that time. And then all of that stuff exports to their billing side as well.
1: Wow. So, hey, Victor, if, if I happen to be an attorney and I maybe need to learn some more about this Max specific stuff for my practice, there's not like a specific
2: place that I could go, is there? Oh my goodness, Katie. Boy, it's almost as if you knew that I was involved with something called Milo Fest. Really? So what (laughs) you guys have been so generous in the last few episodes to talk about that, because Katie's been a speaker and I haven't found the right dollar amount to bribe David to come yet. Um, You know, but I'm not going to keep negotiating against myself at some point in time. He'll he'll agree. But Florida's a long way away.
1: (laughs) But it's Disney World, David.
0: (laughs) It's I, I am tempted, though, boy. Which, which we I know is much cooler
1: it. than Disneyland. But go ahead, Victor.
2: More parks, you know. Um, yes, yeah, so MiloFest, it stands for Max in the Law Office Festival, really. And so what I did about six years ago is in a supreme move of ego and hubris, I said, I would like to have a conference that I could attend that would just be about using Max in the Law Office. So if I convince... Other people to come and help me pay for it, it'll be worthwhile because we'll have all of these different speakers and I would learn and then we would actually have a conference, you know, two two or three days of learning. So six years ago, I set aside to do that and we had a wonderfully successful uh, conference and we've done it every year since. Uh, We do it at Disney World in part because from the organizational side, it's easy just to write them one check. And have them take care of everything. And we get Mickey ear ice cream, which is great. That's the second day. Um, And we just keep upping the uh, sort of the level of what we're doing and learning. It's gotten a a crazy journey in the beginning. We just did two days and I did 14 sessions in two days and everyone was exhausted by the end. So we added a half day before. So we do it Thursday, Friday and Saturday now. And we leave a lot of time for people uh, teaching each other and really kind of fostering and building community. But I am really lucky that uh, two things happen. Uh, The first is that The sessions that I ask people to come and present on, they do as presentations of first impression, right? So these are things that they're creating just for this conference, and then they can go and use them wherever they want. But I ask them to do and bring something fresh um, to this, which is nice in the legal field, because sometimes after lots of tech conferences, you've seen it all, and you've seen that particular speaker give that talk four or five times. So we get everything that's fresh and new. Um, And the second thing is, you know, we don't have a Big budget. Um, we don't. Uh, this is not a money-making effort for me. I make I make my money in my law practice, you know. But it does cost money. Disney charges us for the room and the food and, and those type of stuff. So one of the things that we do is um, we don't have a budget enough to pay our speakers to come. And I'm really lucky that our speakers are uh, so. Uh, and I'm not just looking at you, Katie, but they're so generous in what they're doing that they will come and speak for free and share their knowledge. And these are great and wonderful um uh mac using lawyers that have so much to offer and milo Fest has uh got a population of attendees that like 60 or 70 percent are repeat and have been here for multiple years so we keep doing a good enough job to you know have these people sign back up and keep coming every year
1: well when is it and how can people come and see me
2: Oh, well, so we're going to do it this year. (laughs) They want to come and see you, Katie, that that's what they're coming for. And if David ever showed up, they would definitely come for him. So October 23rd through the 25th uh, of this year, 2014, uh, and it's on Disney property. Uh, We stay at a fantastic resort. We stay at the Yacht and Beach Club, which is one of their sort of higher level resorts. But we do it at a great price, um, you know, per Per night, you know, we've got them down to just you know, about maybe 150 160 bucks a night. Um, and but you sign up for the conf by going to milofest.com, M I L O F E S T, and there's a register button that will take you to our Eventbrite site. Now, when if you want to come, one of the things that uh, I've done is I've gone ahead and created a coupon code for the Mac power users. So if you go and register and you type MPU in the coupon code, it's going to save you about 75 bucks off the registration so that you can uh, save a little bit of money and, and put that towards maybe going to the park one or two days when you're down there.
1: Awesome. Well, Victor, good good luck uh, with MiloFest this year. I, I look forward to seeing you and uh, thanks for sharing some of your workflows with
2: us today. Thank you so much for having me, David and Katie. This is a, a lot of fun, and uh, I appreciate everything that you guys do for the Mac community. I've been a big fan of you guys for all 207 episodes, so keep it going.
1: we Will do, will do. Well, we've got a lot more to talk about on this episode, including tech and education, follow up on our vacation episode, and some awesome Mac Power User workflows. But before we do that, I want to take a quick break and talk about a returning sponsor to the Mac Power Users podcast, and we're so pleased to have them back. And that is our friends over at Gazelle. And you know, it's about coming up on iPhone and iPad season. In fact, we've just gotten new rumors that September 9th may be our day. And if you are thinking about getting a new iPhone or a new iPad, Gazelle wants to buy your used iPhone or iPad or smartphone or Mac for cash. And they make it easy to sell your iPhone or iPad or Mac fast and simple. Uh, Go to gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com to find your item. They'll take again, uh, iPhones, iPads, smartphones, computers. uh, They specialize in Apple products. You tell them what you've got. They'll even buy broken iPhones and iPads. So uh, if you've got a 64 gigabyte uh, AT&T Wi-Fi plus cellular iPad, uh, tell them what kind of condition it is. And on the spot, boom, they'll give you a quote for what they're going to pay you for that device. You then have 30 days to return that device to Gazelle in order to get paid. And if you need a box, they'll even ship you a box along with packing material, and their boxes are pretty cool, I must say. Uh, And you can ship it back to Gazelle, and you'll get paid fast by cash, by PayPal, or if you opt to get paid with an Amazon gift card, which the way I shop on Amazon gift card is almost just as good as cash now, uh, they'll even give you a little 5% bonus. So, Uh, I personally like to sell all of these devices on Gazelle when I don't have a family member to hand them down to because I don't like dealing with the hassles of craigslist and having people meet me in strange places and talk me down and people coming over to my house Uh, it's just it's not worth the hassle of that i go to gazelle i know i'm dealing with a reputable company they've paid out over 175 million dollars to over 1 million satisfied customers and i know a lot of them are mac power users listeners because we've had you write us and tell us about your positive experiences using gazelle Again, their offers are good for 30 days or more, so that gives you plenty of time to transfer your data or get your new set device set up, and Gazelle will even wipe the data off your device for you. Now, if you do have Find My iPhone enabled, you need to make sure that you disable Find My iPhone, uh, but Gazelle will take care of that too, and they've just got great customer support. So, head on over to Gazelle, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E dot com. Uh, take a look, get a quote for your device. If you like the quote that they give you, go ahead and lock it in, and, um... Uh, get some cash for your used items. And, uh, please do me a favor and, and David, a favor really is that if you decide to sell your device through Gazelle, or if you have in the past, because you've heard about them through Mac power users, please take a minute to let them know, uh, that we sent you because that really does help our show. Uh, you can make sure that you select Mac power users and the, how did you hear about us feel? You can go to the link through our website or just send them a tweet to at Gazelle and, uh, give them a shout out to Mac power users. So thanks to Gazelle for their continued support of the Mac power users podcast. Uh, Two quick things. One, um, if you do sell your iPhone to Gazelle, make sure you turn off to find my iPhone on it first. Um, And second, if you have used Gazelle in the past or you're planning on using them in the future and you found them through Mac power users, uh, it'd be really great if you just send them a tweet uh, at Gazelle and let them know you heard about them on the show that, that really helps us out a bit. All right, David. So I mentioned, I think it was on the last episode of MPU Live that I was getting ready to go back to school. And in fact, uh, I've started that process. I've registered, I've started buying books. And boy, is that process different now than it was the last time I, I went to school. And classes start in just about three weeks for me now. And I asked for advice about going back to school and how how that works now in this technology age. Because I've always said, when I go back to school, or gosh, I wish we had this when I was in school. And so I don't know, maybe that's one of the reasons why I decided to go back to school. But we got some great feedback from our MacPower users listeners who either are currently in school or uh, recently went back to school and have had a chance to use some of their fancy gadgets. Um, So I wanted to,
0: uh,
1: you know, Thank them for all of that great feedback and and talk a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, and I just had a, an old college friend over uh, for for of all things bratwurst. <laughs> a couple of course, of ago. course you did. Yeah, and he, he's now he's a dean of a of a college, and I was talking to him about technology and students and universities today, and he said, you know, the thing I don't get is how many uh, professors are technology averse, and I did not realize that was such a thing. I, I would think. The college professors would be all over the stuff, but, you know, there's a lot of guys that are, and ladies that just don't, don't like it and they don't like it in their classroom. And I think maybe the idea of students recording them freaks them out. Um, so I guess that's a thing now. I didn't realize it.
1: I, I think it's a couple of things. Maybe part of that is that they're afraid that they're being, you know, their students are recording them or something's going to come back on them. I, that may be part of it. I've always felt, you know, I just when I've given a few lectures to people and I see the computers pop up, I I personally feel like, well, they're really not paying attention to me, are they? They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. They're doing something else because I've I've given a, a few talks in, in high school and in some college classes. And I guess in high schools, they don't really have they have their cell phones out. That's for sure. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. But I think the, the pros certainly can outweigh the cons. Uh, and and we actually have a comment on that, that we can now may be a good time to get to that. But you certainly have to be disciplined to use the technology appropriately because it is so tempting now that there's Wi-Fi everywhere or or LTE or whatever to to just go completely off on a tangent. And all of a sudden you've missed half the lecture.
0: Yeah. And it's Paul who wrote in and asked about the value of not using technology. And he made reference to a study Um Uh, that they did at Princeton and the university of Los Angeles, where the summary was that students who use laptops to take notes in class learn less than students who use paper. And, uh, you know, one of the things I thought is that might, there's a couple of things there. First of all is the person like you're talking about who is not actually using their laptop to take notes, but using Facebook. Um, I I know when I was in school, if I, I actually did take notes on a computer, but back then it was an eight, Line LCD screen on a little tandy. But uh, the ability to arrange an outline while the professor was speaking was hugely beneficial to me and something I couldn't really do with pencil and paper. Um, I, I just wonder exactly how those students were using the computers. And another question I had was, what about the touch interface? What if someone was working off an iPad instead of a computer? Uh, would they be more likely to pay attention? I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting question. And, you know, on this subject in general, we are going to be doing a show very shortly here, all about going to school with your technology. I mean, we've got a ton of feedback on it. We're not going to get all that in today. And, you know, I, I'm going through that with my, my daughter and her pals and Katie's going through it. So we thought we'd talk through how we're, we're recommending and doing our workflows on education. So there's, there's room for more feedback on this as you're listening to the show, if you want to give us anything for that show. Who's next, Vern?
1: Vern's next, yeah. Uh, so, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll go ahead and take it. Uh, Vern says, you may want to consider Notebook by Circus Ponies. And Circus Ponies have been, this is me adding this, uh, long-time Mac software developers. In fact, I've, I've met them a couple of times at, at MacWorld. And they make great software. And, in fact, I believe a new version, Circus Ponies Notebook, I want to say version 4, just came out. And um, I've been in correspondence with them, so it's something I'm definitely going to check out. But um, Vern continues, uh, as a switcher several years ago, the notebook format seemed more accessible at the time than Evernote, and it may be of use to students. He notes that there are discounts and free trials available um, for and their forums and resources for various types of user groups, including people who are involved in the law. And the latest version has improvements in both look and function. And he uses Notebook for important projects that he wants to have available on his MacBook Pro. Uh, in his particular case, that seems to be forensic evaluation uh, and professional presentations for work, marketing ideas, travel, planning, hobbies, things like that. Uh, Vern, what he'll do is he'll save a workflow, um, or he'll, his workflow is he'll save a document from whatever source it came from. If it's not in PDF, he'll make it a PDF. Um, and then he can also save audio files, uh, video files, web links, anything else, into the notebook and put those files in whatever the appropriate pages of a particular notebook. And the, I think the thing about notebook, and, and it's been a while since I've looked at this particular app, and I'm, I'm going to again before I, I go back to school and, and decide on a solution, is that it really mimics the look and the functionality of a physical notebook.
0: We also heard from Neil and uh, Neil's an interesting guy. He was an Apple store business specialist who decided uh, to go to medical school. <laughs> and uh, so he's taking his, his nerd knowledge to medical school with him. And he had a, an interesting list of applications that he uses. And some of these we're definitely going to talk about on the, you know, the back to school episode we've got planned, but he's a big good reader user. You know, he can download lectures and PowerPoint slides before class and, and uh, he also uses iAnnotate for annotating PDFs. Uh, Notability, which I think is something that is an interesting solution, uh, because it records while you take notes. And uh, he uses he watches lectures at one point five to two two point five times speed using Speed Up TV, which was an app I'd never heard of before.
1: Yeah, I need to. Ch- the- I need to check that out now. My particular lectures are going to be live, but I know uh, in many courses all of the lectures are are video based. Uh, particularly in, yeah. in in big undergraduate courses at large universities, it's not uncommon for there to be one session of a particular class and then everything else be video replay. And that would be a great feature. I because you know I love listening to things at double speed or or one point five speed, but being able to certain things I would want to slow down for sure, but certain things would be nice to be able to speed up.
0: I'm just too slow. I, I just keep everything at one time. It's, it's easier for me. I need time to process. Um, he's a Dropbox user, but he also said box.com is a good source. I mean, if you're going to school, you're going to want to have your documents probably in a cloud storage base where you can get at it from your various devices. Inkling is an interesting service. He mentioned it's interactive books at full price, but by the chapter. So you get the text with the interactive quizzes and you can buy by the chapter. I think that's a good idea. And a firecracker medical memorization, which is a, um, but you know, there's other apps like mental case as well, where you can do your own flashcards Uh, and some of those are, are getting very smart. This is really a good preview for that episode. Maybe we don't need to do the episode, but (laughs) either way, the, um, um, the flat, the flashcards out there, these applications will see the ones you get wrong and start interjecting those more as you go through the cards. I, I think flashcards are a great way to learn. So, it's a, it's a good idea. It's interesting with my daughter, she likes to handwrite her flashcards cause it helps her learn it. And she said, typing didn't work for her. So maybe that goes back to the point that Paul made. And then a uh, PDF pin, um, is, uh, he, she, he uses, uh, you know, he says there's three to five courses going at a time. And one of his favorite tricks was to print the course calendar to PDF and then play slashes through the lectures to show his progress And if he got through a lecture three times, he said he did well, so he could use PDF pen for that. Um, There's a lot of good applications out there. Send us your feedback. I I still think we're probably going to do a show on this because I've got a lot of thoughts. I haven't really shared on it. And I know Katie's kind of building a workflow for going back to school, and it seems like the right time of year to start thinking about that. Yeah.
1: And then our friend Linda, who we meet up every year at Macworld, wrote and said, can you talk a little bit about um, these types of workflows when you're taking an online class? Because not everybody is actually going back to a physical school context. Maybe they're taking an online course or some other kind of tutorial.
0: Yeah, I've I've got feedback on that. My wife just finished a one-year program at UCLA. She got a certificate. And it was all online-based. And the lectures and everything, they had an app built specifically for their for their certificate program so she would log in with her ipad to capture content and then she just used a little stump stand and propped it up next to her mac and would take notes while she watched and that you know it it adds an interesting dynamic if you're using your computer to watch the content can you still use your computer to take notes and do stuff with the content at the same time and you know, there may be listeners that will watch content on an iPad and take notes with a pen and paper. Could be crazy, crazy. Or,
1: or you anyway. can watch on your iPad and take notes on your Mac.
0: Yeah. Dual well, screens. That's
1: what, yeah. That's what Daisy yeah. did. Sounds like.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that was an interesting topic where I think there's going to be more on that. So yeah. let us know.
1: Well, and speaking of our friend, Linda, that reminds me of our next sponsor lynda.com.
0: <laughs> yes, it does. It does.
1: <laughs> so this is this is actually on my, my list of other things that I'm going to do this afternoon when we get done recording Mac Power Users, because this is one of my last free weekends before I go back to school. And there's still a few other things that I want to do before things get crazy. And there are a couple of other apps that I want to get better at. And I have a couple of lynda.com tutorials bookmarked that I want to go back to and I either want to try to finish or I want to try to get started on. And lynda.com uh, helps you learn or stay up to date with software or pick up new school uh, skills, uh, explore new hobbies, whatever. Uh, they've got thousands of easy-to-follow video tutorials um, on hundreds and hundreds of different topics that are taught by industry experts. And they've got more being added weekly. Uh, lynda.com is the first place that I go when a new topic has come out. So if you want to learn about Swift, there are probably videos in progress, if not already on Lynda.com, about that topic. Uh, I guarantee you, they're already working on videos for Yosemite now that the public beta—beta, beta—did beta, I just say that? Now that the public beta has dropped, um, and they've got courses for all kinds of ex, uh, experience levels, whether you're a beginner or advanced, uh, and they've got a brand new cool iOS app, David. I don't know if you have had a chance to play with their new iOS app, but it allows you to watch videos on your iOS device, um, see what videos that you want to watch in the future, or even. Um, save them for offline viewing so that if you're in a place where you don't have um, Wi-Fi or LTE access, that you can still have access to all of your videos. And probably my favorite thing about Lynda is the price. It doesn't matter what you want to learn. It doesn't matter how many things you have that you want to learn. It doesn't matter the type of pace that you want to go at. Um, One monthly price, $25, gives you unlimited access to the entire Lynda.com catalog. So if you've got a a month where you've got a lot of free time like a lot of people do in the summer and you want to go ahead and just load up on tutorials and and use this time to build your skill set this is a great time to do it for only 25 bucks um they've got uh projects or uh, videos out there on things for like using your iPad for business, uh, brushing up on Google Docs and, and using uh, Keynote, uh, learning how to use any kind of the pro apps that you want to use if you want to become better at Final Cut or Logic or any of those types of pro apps. Or even if you want to learn things about how to compose better pictures or taking pho- or photography or even photography on your iOS devices, uh, there are lynda.com videos for just about anything. So check them out. Uh, because you're a Mac Power Users listeners, they've got a special trial for us. Uh, you can view anything you want in their catalog free for seven days by going to lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash MacPowerUsers and sign up for your free seven-day trial. If you don't like it, that's fine. Uh, but if you do, you can uh, grab anything you want for just 25 bucks a month and go from there. And again, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash Users. And thanks to lynda.com for continuing their support of our show.
0: So we had some feedback on the show about using a Mac at work. And uh, one of the questions that got asked was, so what apps do you guys actually use on your Macs at work? And I thought that was a, a good one. We really didn't answer it. We spent so much time talking about, you know, the, the PC versus the Mac. Uh, what are the Mac apps you use when you're sitting at your desk at your office, Katie?
1: Well, I think that goes back to the bigger question of why did I bring my Mac to work? and it was the the bottom line answer to that is because i want access to certain apps and because i want to be able to work in a certain way that i don't have access to on a pc and it's because of these apps Uh, It's apps like, uh, for me, the biggest one on my list, and we talked about this, is OmniFocus. Having direct access to OmniFocus and being able to manage my tasks natively on my Mac, the way that I want to do that, it was the number one thing that prompted me to actually bring my Mac and make the switch into the office. Uh, But the essential apps that I use every day, um, BusyCal and Fantastical jointly for managing my calendar, it integrates both of those integrate in wonderfully with our Office 365 calendaring system. In fact, BusyCal integrates better than um, the uh, Mac OS native built-in calendaring system, especially when it comes to viewing other people's calendars and being able to share information on calendars. Uh, and then tools like PDF Pen Pro and Text Expander, that they're just the, the PC alternatives – um, we're very different. I mean, our our office has a very limited Adobe. It's a different type of Adobe Acrobat on on the PC that doesn't have the features that PDF Pen Pro does, um, and there is nothing like Text Expander that allows you to bang out big blocks of text in boilerplate language that just saves me every day. So those are a well, few of mine. There,
0: there are there are options on the the PC that are alternatives to text expander, but I've n- not found any of them that are as good as text expander.
1: Oh, and we should and mention all- those because we got a lot of emails about them. Um, Brevi and phase expander being the two big ones that will sync with uh, text expander's database.
0: Yeah, and I've been using Brevi for several years and it's it's, it's a good option. Um, the uh, I also use the iWork applications quite a bit at work, even though I'm in a business where everybody deals with Word and Excel. I find uh, using numbers... And, and pages quite useful sometimes. So I, I do that. And also of course, keynote, which I, I rely on deeply. Um, and another one I use, I think I mentioned in the show is jump desktop, which is an alternative remote desktop client.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: It, it does a good job of tunneling into the office PC. Um, Yeah. So we can use the Mac at work as well as the PC, even if you're stuck and, Uh, We did get a lot of great feedback on that show, and it's fun listening to all the people out there dealing with the same types of issues that that we've been addressing on the show.
1: Yeah, I do have a a couple of other tips, if I can throw those in, if you do decide to bring your your Mac into the office. Um, One that I found is we have a file server at our office, and this is actually a great tip for connecting to file servers at the office or even connecting to a file server at your home, like I use it to connect to my Drobo, um, is I think I became aware... From TJ, maybe, or the unofficial Apple web blog, I think he wrote it up, of the Mountain app, which is a a little app that you can mount at login, and it will, you can designate certain servers or, or network attached drives to be favorite drives that it will automatically mount at login or automatically mount any time that your Mac wakes for sleep and will keep those drives from being dismounted. And I used to have kind of this wacky problem where um, my Mac for whatever reason would would lose the connection with the network drive and I would have to manually reestablish it. And since I've started using it, that has not happened. So that's good, been very good cool.
0: solution. Solution. Um,
1: the other thing is, um, adding printers. Uh, it was, it was a very big trial and error thing. And then finally I just considered using, um, Bonjour and there's a, a windows version of Bonjour that if it's installed somewhere, it, it may help your Mac connect to printers. So those are things.
0: Good. Good. Uh, we also had some great audio workflows from listeners this month and some of them were related to stuff we'd done in the past. Some of it more distant, some of it more recent, but, um, they're, they're pretty good workflows. So I thought we'd start with Nathan, who uh, can send a text message with his WeMo. I thought that was pretty smart.
1: Yeah, Nathan and I uh, – let me give you a little background for this. Um, Nathan and I have been collaborating uh, – well, I should say collaborating. I've said, Nathan, wouldn't it be really cool if – I don't know. And, and then he went off and he figured out how to do it. I did not collaborate in any way in terms of providing support for this other than I said, wouldn't it be cool if you could figure out a way to make this happen? And so the goal was, is using If This Then That, it's pretty easy to set up your Wemo switch to send a text message to you because on iOS, the If This Then That channel will send a text message to whatever is registered with If This Then That. But what if you wanted to send a text message to somebody else? Like what if when you push the button, you wanted to send a text message to your spouse saying, hey, I'm home or something like that. It's hard to send a text message to somebody else using If This Then That on iOS. It's pretty easy for Android. Um, And so Nathan figured out a way to do that using some fancy Apple script and iMessage on a Mac. So here's his workflow.
3: Hi, Katie. Hi, David. Hi, MacPower users. My name is Nathan, and I wanted to share a cool little WeMo light switch action I came up with. What I wanted to do is have the long press function on my WeMo light switch automatically send a text message for me, or iMessage, actually. And what I came up with is this. I'm using the WeMo light switch, if this, then that, Dropbox, a Mac Mini, Hazel, and an Apple Script. And this is how it works. When I long press on the Wemo light switch, it will fire off an if this then that recipe to upload a text file to Dropbox. Hazel on my Mac mini will see this file uploaded and fire off an Apple script, which opens the messages application, sends the message, and then closes the messages application. Hazel then also moves that text file to the trash so I can repeat this process all over again. And so all I have to do is on my way out the door, long press on the switch, and off goes my pre-typed text message without me having to pull my phone out and type anything whatsoever. Thanks, guys.
0: You know, a couple of observations on this. The first is, if there's something you want to automate in your life and you can't figure out any other way to do it, using Hazel with a Dropbox-generated text file seems like the answer. I
1: (laughs) Well, that seems to be the solution several times.
0: Yeah, we've, we've bumped into a lot of workflow issues where people did some really cool stuff that way. And my second observation is, is I hope as we get deeper into these extensions in iOS 8 and and Yosemite that we won't have to rely on that trick as much. I hope. I'm not sure, but I hope. I mean, I would like to see uh, Wemo, the Wemo app be able to, to get a little deeper into some of these, you know, inter-app communications. So you don't have to have a separate Mac running in your house to make that happen. Right.
1: But I thought that I'd love to see the Apple script. And in fact, Nathan sent it to me. I don't know if he wrote it up anywhere. And if you did, Nathan shoot me an email and I'll add it into the show notes. But um, yeah.
0: So I'm guessing it wouldn't be really complicated. You would just tell the messages app to open and then use whatever Apple script incantation it takes to send a message and then quit. Right. I mean, yeah. That's it's not very long, it. I would bet. No. Yeah.
1: No. In fact, I, I will look because he sent me, He sent it to me, and I will see if I can share it in Evernote if Nathan hasn't already written it up somewhere. Because I want to definitely okay. give him credit and link it if we can. So, All right. Um, next up, we also heard from Ben, who had a unique solution for a problem that he has with OmniFocus and needing to number his tasks. And I'll let him explain that a little bit further.
4: Hi David and Katie, my name's Ben Hamilton. I've had a problem in that a client that I have wants all their project tasks numbered and because I use OmniFocus and I can't number those tasks automatically, it's made it a bit difficult. The client wants me to number all these tasks so that they can reconcile and track my list of tasks with the list of tasks that they have in the system they use. So rather than wait for that as a feature, I figured a bit of elbow grease might do the trick. So I've come up with a solution that comprises two parts. The first is a shell script, and the second is a keyboard maestro recipe. So for the shell script, all it does is read the contents of a text file, grabs the number that is stored in that text file, adds one to it, and then echoes that new number out to the screen, and it then writes that new number back to the text file ready for the next time I I call upon it. Now the keyboard maestro recipe, all it does is actually run that script file and when it gets that number echoed out to the screen, it actually copies it to the clipboard. Then the second part of the keyboard maestro recipe is that it spits out some predefined text. Now in my case, that is an open bracket, the word task, a space, the number we save to the clipboard, then a closing bracket. All of this is actually triggered by a typed hot string. So to use it, I simply type in comma, comma, T-A-S-K, and it transforms into a bracket, task, the number that it's got, and then close bracket. And then I keep typing uh, whatever the task is. So each of these tasks is now prefixed with task and the number. Now, because I've actually got a number of uh, projects on the go, I've actually cre- uh, duplicated the shell script and the recipe here a few times so that I've actually got one of these for each of those projects. And what that means is that I can easily get the next sequential number for each of those projects in turn when I need it. So I hope this uh, suggestion is as helpful uh, to others as I found it uh, for myself. And uh, thank you, David and Katie. Love your work. It's been uh, quite functionally inspirational to me. And I wouldn't be as productive as I am if it wasn't for the hints, tips, and workflows I've heard about on Mac Power Users. Thank you. I've never heard the term "functionally inspirational" before,
0: but I'll take it.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a uh, <laughs> sounds like a good potential show title there.
0: <laughs> the um, you know, it's I'm sure part of him had to be just crazy that the client wants this thing in a numbered list. When I first started uh, toying with getting things done before OmniFocus existed. Actually Um, I had always used the Franklin planner kind of system where you would give things a A, ABC priority like every day. And then you would put numbers after each one of them. So you'd have a, like the a one, a two, a three. It was, it was very, um, it was very complicated and took a lot of time and always made me feel like I was doing things when I wasn't actually getting anything done. But I, I thought that there was no way I could abandon that numbered system. That that was my first dig against GTD. I'm like, I don't think this is going to work for me. I need my numbers. And I can say after using GTD for years now, I, I can't imagine having to put numbers into my tasks again because everything's so fluid with me. It's nice. I like the way it works now.
1: But I have seen people use a, a wonky type of, of numbering system. You know, for example, I've seen emails uh, for someone who sent me an assignment it was like 31.11 here's here's the assignment was it was in the subject line and i looked at it and 31.11 didn't mean anything to me but i'm thinking uh, that that must mean something in some kind of internal tracking or internal management system that they're using so I can understand that there's a there's a need for something like this
0: yeah i mean in his case he needs to do it because the people who are paying them want it numbered, so you make it numbered. And I thought what he did was pretty smart. The the third way I would have thought to look into this would be possibly
4: Text an Apple
0: script. Oh, okay. no, I was thinking Apple Script because Omnivoc is is very Apple scriptable. The people at OmniGroup really like Apple Script and they support it. So there may be a way to run a script to have it just take the whole project and number everything in one swell foop, as they say. But I, I, it would take time for me to figure something out like that. And I'd probably end up calling Group and asking him to help me with it at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, it, when you run into the problem, going to the tools he chose, you're going to solve it most of the time. I mean, Our- Keyboard Maestro just does it. I mean, there's so much you can do with the Keyboard Maestro. Yeah.
1: Um, Our last kind of workflow for for this particular segment, I guess we've got a couple other things to talk about this episode, uh, is Rich who wrote in with a a problem that I know that I myself have, and that is trying to manage contacts on the go when you get information from people. And so I want to talk about this a little bit, but let's first hear about how Rich deals with it.
5: Hey, guys. Rich T. here in Los Angeles. You know, Sometimes the most helpful hacks are the simplest. I think this is one. I create most of my new contacts not on my laptop but on my phone when I'm out and about, usually while the person is actually giving me their info and I'm typing it into my phone in real time. But in those moments, I don't have time to fill out additional information that will actually make the contact helpful. Then I go about my day and I forget to go back and add more information later. And then weeks later, I come across these contacts that are so cryptic and confusing, I don't even remember who the person actually was. This is a big problem for me, but it got solved thanks to the inspiration I got from MacPower users. If this, then that. I set up a very basic if this, then that recipe using the iOS contacts trigger. Basically, I just have a recipe that emails me whenever I create a new contact. I get the email while I'm on my phone. I forget about it. But then later that night or another point, I'm back on my laptop. I'm processing my emails. I see that email. Oh, right. I go into the contact in my laptop contacts app and leisurely and quickly add a bunch of key information information that will actually make that contact useful going forward. That's it. Problem solved thanks to the inspiration of Mac Power users. David and Katie, I love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks.
0: That just seemed like so practical to me. Just make an if this then that rule. Send me an email, I'll deal with it later. Yeah. And I you like can even
1: put it in your saying later folder or divert it to a specific folder or ooh, you could even email it to your OmniFocus task. Well, then it might not get done with but yeah. So many things that you could do with that type of workflow. I like that. I'll I'll tell you what I've really been digging recently, and we've talked about a little bit before, is the Evernote app for business card scanning. And I think you might have to have an Evernote premium subscription in order to take full advantage of it. Uh, But it has just been very accurate. And one of the things that it will do is um, it will scan the business card. It will parse all the information on the business card. And then it will reach out to LinkedIn. And I will admit that I'm not the biggest fan of LinkedIn, but it is very useful for this particular thing. And if the contact is on LinkedIn and it can find the contact on LinkedIn, then it will additionally pull in more information that may or may not be on that person's contact card from LinkedIn, including their photo and a little more information about them. Um, And then you can optionally, there's a little uh, preference switch that you can optionally have it save all that information to your contacts or, or and or, um, then email your contact information to that person. So Bloop, scan their card, you pull all their information in, and then you can uh, email off your information to them. And I've just been finding that very valuable for collecting information on the go because in my world, a lot of people just hand me their business card and then I take a quick picture of it and hand it back to them.
0: Yeah, the uh, and just the more generic problem of cap- capturing little bits of information on the go, I, can, I feel I could remiss, uh, be remiss if I didn't mention drafts. I, I keep drafts in my doc, and even when I just meet somebody, I'll open up a draft and dictate some notes in with Siri. And I've got the little badge on drafts that it, it puts a badge on the app if I don't process a note, which makes me crazy when I see badges, so I always process it. But I, I do like this idea. I'm going to actually try Rich's plan here and put a uh, if-this-then-that rule in for uh, adding new contacts because I think it I think it's smart. Um, before we go on, I'd like to talk about another sponsor for the show today, and appropriately, it is the Omni Group. Specifically, I wanted to talk about OmniFocus. Uh, we, we've mentioned it a few times already in the show, but this new version, too, really is worth checking out. I know uh, we've got some listeners out there that haven't got into it yet, Uh, I want you to go check it out now because uh, it just keeps coming up on our show. There's so many listeners that are using it and it's just such a powerful tool for managing your day. Uh, OmniFocus version two is easier to use than ever. They've made a bunch of changes to the application to make it easier to get started with. And also they've added more power to it uh, one of the things I really love on the new Mac app is they've got this forecast view in it, and I really make a practice now of at the end of the day going through and not only finishing off the tasks that I didn't get to today, but looking at my forecast for the next couple of days. And it's it's a very simple process. You click a button on the calendar, and it shows you everything you got starting the next day, and you take a look at it, and you can tell right right away, how you're going to be doing the next day. It not only gives you your tasks, it also gives you your calendar. So, you know, if you've got a lot of appointments, you're going to have to scale things down. And then they use this great syntax in OmniFocus to move the tasks. So for instance, let's say I've got, I look at tomorrow and I've got 10 tasks relating to one case I'm working on. And I know that I'm not going to work on it tomorrow because something else has come up. I can select all 10 tasks. They've got an inspector built right in there. And I could put in there, I could put, type in the date for next Monday and it would push those tasks off or I could type 2D uh, and it would push it off two days or I can type 1W space M-O-N. So think about that 1W M-O-N. It would push it off to a week from Monday. All this stuff is done right in the application. So it just makes it very intuitive to manage your day. And I love that feature about OmniFocus and all this is done in the forecast. So when I go to bed, I know that the next day I wake up, I'm not going to get hammered with 200 tasks. Instead, maybe I've got 20 in there, and it's something that I can really get done in the day. I I just feel like I have so much more control over it. You know, another cool tip if you're going to start using these defer dates to manage your tasks is think about what you're going to be doing in the morning versus the afternoon. If I've got a bunch of meetings in the morning and there's just a couple things I want to make sure I get down my task list. I will push all the other tasks off to 1 PM tomorrow. And then in the morning, I just see the stuff I really need to deal with. It's, it's, it's not too fiddly if it makes you more efficient and, uh, and OmniFocus makes all that possible. So, um, so what have we got with OmniFocus two? It's, it's cheaper than ever. You can get in for the standard version for $40 and you can upgrade to the pro version for another $40. Um, and that includes like the Apple script support and the custom perspectives and some of the stuff we really like. It's got the new forecast view. It's easier to review now. So one of the great tenets of getting things done is doing a review. And I'm telling you, if you if you haven't tried doing reviews, you should because it really brings your sanity a little down. You know that you've got everything under control. If you're looking for help getting started, the Omni Group has uh, some support short videos that they shot just on OmniFocus's new interface. You can go to their website. And they've also created a whole website called Inside OmniFocus that you can find at inside.omnifocus.com where they've got information, workflows, system tools, and articles by people who use OmniFocus and showing you some of their tips. I even did one, so you can check that out. Uh, They're a longtime sponsor of our show at the Omni Group. They make amazing software and it's just a wonderful group of people. They're designers, programmers, just the best in breed and everything, and they make fantastic applications. Thank you, Omni Group, for supporting the show. And I strongly recommend you all go out and check out OmniFocus.
1: So, this next section I have uh, tentatively labeled keeping things lean and mean. I don't
0: know. Okay. I just
1: Let's felt like that. it. I felt like that. Uh, And Roger wrote in and said, many of my clients insist on keeping every email ever sent or received, even their junk mail. Of course, they use Yahoo or Gmail with mail.app, and it's not uncommon to encounter 50 gigabytes of email and then have them blame me for their email acting up. I think Roger is a, a Mac consultant. We both believe in... I I know he is. You know he is. Okay. (laughs) Roger says, we both believe in keeping our email lean and mean. Oh, that's where I got that name from. "And And just use it as a means of communication. Save the messages that are really important and delete the rest. After all, we're not recording every phone conversation. Well, the NSA is. Or archiving every piece of junk mail we receive by snail mail. My problem is how do you keep things working and keep them from blaming me for their email not going right? Roger. Select all and delete done
0: or you could explain to them what their problem is and and why keeping that in fact i think the analogy of your physical mail is a good one i mean when you get the supermarket ad and you know the the ad from the people who want to give you money and all the other things that you get in your junk mail in your mailbox every day are you going to put that in your filing cabinet well, obviously not. And you're doing the same thing with your email. If you're saving all that junk mail, you need to delete all that stuff and get it out of there. Um, I, I hope, you know, I, Roger's a smart guy. I've met him because goes, goes to Macworld every year. And I think he's being a little facetious, but I also think that it's a question of education. You just need to tell people what a big problem they're creating for themselves. After I got this email, I looked, I've got like 12 gigabytes of email with everything And I think I'm pretty liberal about keeping email because I get a lot of email related to the show and I always keep all that stuff, but, um, it, it couldn't be worse apparently.
1: Yeah. And for the record, don't send me email. I was just kidding when I said select all and delete, but I tend to, um, it it depends on the setting. I mean, obviously in my work setting, we have a policy where we keep everything and, and, um, there's there's arguments to the pros and cons of that, but that's the policy and that's what I live with. Uh, in my personal setting, I keep a lot. Um, in fact, on, on iOS, which is where I process through a ton of mail, uh, especially a lot of mail that I don't need, there are some settings that you can choose, and I, I wish there were a way to choose multiple settings uh, for both Gmail and iCloud, and, and maybe now multiple servers, where you either have a delete button or an, or an archive button, and in iOS I've made the archive button my default but I do still have both the delete button and the archive button on mail.app so when I am processing in mail.app I will go ahead and delete those those emails uh, when I'm processing in iOS unfortunately I I don't really have that option I just you know it, it ends up getting I end up archiving a lot of stuff that I really don't need to keep but you can put both that. That's,
0: that's going to get better. That's going to get better in iOS 8.
1: Okay, good. Um, but you can yeah. you can put both of those in your in your toolbox. I tend to err on the side of keeping things if I'm not sure for sure if I want to keep them or not. But you can do that. Um, I think a big thing is to try to keep a lot of that stuff from coming in in the first place. Um, I use SaneBox in the same black hole. I also use SpamSiv. Um, and I have a lot of email filtered through Gmail, which I think... Uh, has a very good spam filter. So I am pretty good when it comes to spam and I don't get a lot of spam messages. So I tend to keep a lot of that stuff out of my inbox to begin with, which means it never gets archived to begin with. And so that tends to help. Um, the other thing that I do is I try to make a point and it probably ends up needing to be a task in OmniFocus to go through and clear out my my. Uh, my inbox not just my inbox i guess my my email on my computer um, i do use a third party app called mail steward to to archive all of that email so my mail steward archive is is quite big and i keep it on my drobo but you can go in and you can using smart folders in particular you can search for certain types of um uh, from, for senders, for keywords, for phrases, um, for particular things in particular subjects. And so you can easily say, you know, find me all of the mail message that are from this particular mailing group that are older than 2014 and then select all and delete all of those. So there are a few things that I do to go through very quickly and delete out, um, you know, big blocks of email that I know that I'm no longer going to need. And I try to do that pretty regularly. And then when it just gets too big and overwhelming – I'll go out and I'll archive out several years of, of email out of, out of my main inbox. So I'm not dealing with it. Uh,
0: another thing is to be wary of attachments. I mean, email is really just text and it doesn't take a lot of space. Where you get in a lot of trouble is when you start getting big attachments. So if you have a business or a hobby that involves sharing a lot of big attachments with people, uh, put a process in place to get those attachments out of your email. And, you know, you could do that with SaneBox or you could just do it manually. There's a lot of things you could do. But storing your email archive with a lot of large attachments is is really where people run into trouble.
1: There is a feature in Mail.app, and, and I use this frequently. Um, for example, a lot of my dictation, uh, the dictation software that we use, sends my dictation files via email. And those are pretty big files. I mean, they're easily, uh, they're not huge, but many times a day I'm sending several two to three megabyte files via email to my assistant to process through dictation. And so I make a point every couple of months to go through and find all of those files, which I can easily search through because they have very specific criteria, um, and remove the attachments, which is a command that you can use in mail.app from all of those dictation files. And it drastically reduces the size of my mail database.
0: You know, you could also set up a smart mailbox folder to just search for emails that have those attachments in them.
1: And that's what I do, yeah.
0: Okay, and then maybe set up a, a system to just delete those emails. I mean, after a, presumably they're dictated within a, few, a week of you submitting them. So who needs them anymore?
1: Yeah. I, there's, um, pr- there's probably a way to automate that with, with keyboard maestro or something. I, and what I do is I just set up a smart mailbox that says all of my dictations that are, I think I use older than a month just in case. Cause sometimes, sometimes the system isn't perfect and she doesn't get it. And I say, Hey, did you ever dictate that letter on blah, blah, blah? and I have to go back and find it. So I think I'd do anything that's older than a month and put it in that folder and occasionally go in and select all and remove the attachments.
0: If you can share it, I don't know if you can. What what is your methodology for getting the dictation into the computer and off to your your staff anyway?
1: Um it's horrible. I do not recommend it, but I'll happy to share it. <laughs> How's that? Because right, I have a
0: good one. I have, I have a good solution.
1: Okay, um, we 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 use a program, and I'm I'm happy to hear about yours called uh, Philips Speech Exec, and it's it's basically a box that you can buy on Amazon. and It is not Mac compatible, but it's a it's a sender and a receiver unit. So it comes with a little dictaphone and uh, dictate and transcribe software, and it's totally designed for the PC. But if you look at it, what the what the the sender the Dictate software is actually doing in the background is every time you plug that Dictaphone in, it's looking for um, certain types of files on the Dictaphone's memory card and then pulling them off and then emailing them to the person that you've set up. And so once I figured out that was all that that software was doing and it was really my assistant software on her PC that was catching those files and then processing them for her to transcribe, I realized, Oh, I can do that with, with keyboard maestro. So I just set up, um, I, I plugged a card reader into the, the side of my Mac, and I take that little compact flash card that comes out of that dictation software, and I set up a keyboard maestro macro that every time it sees that particular card inserted into my Mac, it uh, pulls off all the files on those cards um, temporarily saves them to a folder on my Mac, which it, which Hazel cleans out every month, so that I don't get a big backload, but that I still have them in in case they're lost in transit, and then generates an email using an Apple script to email those off to my assistant. Is that what you wanted?
0: To yeah, do? I've, yeah. I'm okay. just curious because I yeah. I use that Sony recorder I've talked about in the past, which creates a um, I think it's a WAV file that it actually generates, and then I can drop it and drag and dictate and have it do the dictation for me. Uh, for the office, we have this fancy Olympus system and it's got proprietary Olympus software. Um, my Olympus recorder, however, died like a year ago or, or longer. And I didn't want to get a new one cause I, you know, I just don't use the, the staff dictation that often, but I found this great app called dictate plus connect. And I use that and it records. It's got a, a voice activated recorder built into it. It's very nice. And you can set up macros in the application. So when I finish recording, I press one button in the app and it emails the the file off to the staff person that handles it for me. And it's in a format that she can just drag into the Olympus software and then just run the regular dictation on. I'm not sure how many listeners really care about this stuff, but it it actually is quite useful to be able to do it all with one button press. So that's kind of nice. Stuff never sees my Mac. It just goes straight from the phone.
3: Cool. Um,
1: and do you find that the, see, I like the physical recorder because it gives me the ability to pretty easily fast forward, rewind, go back and, and restate something. You think the, Mac yeah. you, the, the iPhone gives you enough control over that?
0: Well, yes and no. I mean, I don't use it that often and the voice activation is nice. I just lay it on the desk and dictate and I don't have to push any buttons. When I stop to read something, it just stops recording.
1: All right, um, moving on, I do want to talk. uh, This is a topic that, that I've actually spoken about before, and Eddie Smith did a great blog post on this that I've also linked in the show notes. And Chip sent us in an audio comment about using Little Snitch to control your bandwidth. And I'll let Chip explain, and then we'll go into some more detail after he's done.
6: Hello, David, and hello, Katie Floyd. This is Chip Shanley in North Carolina. I recently ran into a problem where my ISP was telling me that my daily Internet usage had gone from an average of less than one gigabyte per month to 20 gigabytes per day. I wanted to investigate, but the Max Networking Activity app only shows you the instantaneous data traffic. Worse yet, it records all LAN usage as well as WAN usage, so there's no way to differentiate traffic on your local area network from your capped Internet usage. I found most networking apps, in fact, recorded both LAN and WAN usage, and so we're not very effective at establishing what your true ISP usage had been. Little Snitch to the rescue. I had previously tried Little Snitch, but found it to be a bit awkward to use. The new version 3 is hugely easier. As long as you let its network monitor run, it'll accumulate the true ISP or WAN usage. Best of all, it'll show you which app or process is using how much internet bandwidth. This makes it easy to determine what rogue app or process has gone nuts and is eating up all your bandwidth? Little Snitch doesn't highlight this functionality, but in a world of increasing data caps, it's quite valuable.
1: So Chip used that Little Snitch to solve the problem of what is eating my bandwidth and how do I know how much of my bandwidth that I'm using? Uh, and Eddie and others have have used Little Snitch to solve a similar problem of what can I do to limit my bandwidth when I'm on certain types of networks? So many of us do not have bandwidth caps or have very high bandwidth caps uh, when we're on our home or local networks. But I know uh, it sounds like Chip, and I know TJ and other folks that we've talked to do have some pretty low bandwidth caps on their networks and have to be very mindful. And certainly, when we're traveling, and perhaps you're tethered with LTE or something like that, you want to be very careful about the type of data that you're using. Um, you know, so for example, if you're if you're tethered, it, you maybe you don't want your um, uh, photo um, Dropbox drop running, yeah, because um, you don't want Max Sparky to drop like a, a an iBooks author file in your Dropbox and say, hey, I'm giving this to you, have fun. Um, maybe you don't want, um, you know, Backblaze running because um, although maybe you want to be backed up, but you, you don't want to be backing up necessarily over, over LTE. Uh, maybe you don't want uh, iPhoto to be running over um, Photo Stream because if you are on vacation and you're running on LTE and you're taking a lot of photos, maybe you don't want all those photos syncing back and forth. So one of the, the things- the big,
0: the big point here is yeah. that- When you when you tether to your phone or your your iPad or one of these Wi-Fi devices like Victor was talking about is your Mac thinks it's on Wi-Fi. It doesn't realize it's over an LTE connection. It tethering by in its essence makes the Mac think it's on Wi-Fi. So it will sync as much data as it thinks it should sync as if it was at your home Wi-Fi. And if you're paying a significant amount of money to get that that LTE bandwidth, you don't want to burn it all up having your Dropbox sync a file. So the, the solution that Eddie and these people came up with was we're going to use little snitch to, to basically monitor we, where we can throw a switch and shut down outgoing traffic on certain services. Is that a good way to summarize it?
1: Yes. Except little snitch will actually do it automatically and you can set up different yeah. profiles for different networks.
0: Yeah. So if you're, if you're connected to David's iPhone, as opposed to, you know, the Spar America Wi-Fi network, it, you will be able to have it turn off the Dropbox and turn off the app updates and turn off some of the other stuff that is not critical to you. And at the same time, uses up a lot of data. I actually had Eddie make a, a, a vid, an audio comment on this, but we're running long, so I'm not going to put it in. And I'm sorry, Eddie, but we'll, we'll have Eddie on another time. But do go check out his blog post because he really kind of lays out chapter and version of how you set this up.
1: Well, since we are running a little long, I do want to fast forward ahead and do our last sponsor for this episode before we get to some of our vacation feedback. Um, And that is the good friends over at Fujitsu and talk about their ScanSnap, or as my mom likes to call them, the SnapScan uh, (laughs) line of products. And, you know, if you want to adopt a paperless workflow or if you want to get rid of some of this paper in your life, um, you probably should check out a document scanner. And that's what the ScanSnaps are. And they've got a, a couple of different models of them. There's the S1100, which I wanted to ask Victor a little bit about why maybe they didn't adopt something like that in their practice. Because it is a truly mobile scanner. It's it's almost wand-like where you can plug it into your computer, you can scan a single piece of paper at a time, and just get great quality scans pretty quickly. Um, There's also the S1300i, which is a portable scanner. Um, I think you would call this a little little bit smaller than shoebox size. Uh, Certainly can fit in a drawer, easy easy enough to pack away and take with you. But also has some great features, including the ability to scan uh, in duplex mode, meaning front and back at the same time, and has a paper tray so that you can stack up uh, several sheets of paper at a time and just run them through the scanner. Um, There's the Mac Daddy, uh, the scanner that's sitting on my desk right now, the iX500. Um, which is their top-of-the-line scanner that will just really zip through a stack of 50 sheets of paper or more with their document feeder and will scan to all kinds of, of different uh, services and even, uh, even allow you to scan wirelessly or to your mobile device. And then there's the brand-new uh, SV600 contactless scanner that you can use for uh, scanning delicate items that you don't want to run through a document feeder um, or you can use for scanning books if you don't want to be like David and take an exacto blade to the to the corners of your book and and shave them off and we have people ask us all the time you know which which version of the scan snaps do you do you recommend I, I want to make sure that I get the one that's that's right for me and the answer to that really depends on what is it that you want to do uh, with these scanners if, if you are trying to adopt a paperless practice and and get rid of all your paper and you've got a big backlog that you want to go through um, and you've got the, the, the money and it's a luxury that you can afford, uh, the iX500 is without a doubt my absolute favorite of all of the scan snap scanners. It's got the top of the line software. It is the best hardware. It is incredibly fast. Um, it's got some kind of special sonar secret sauce stuff that will uh, prevent and detect um, duplicate page feeds. But um, the S1300i uh, is a great desktop scanner as well. You know, if you're just an individual or perhaps going back to school and you want to be able to scan a handful of things, or maybe you're all caught up on your scanning and you're just trying to keep up with the day-to-day stuff, the S1300 is kind of the, the sweet spot and a great scanner. So uh, take a look at the S1300. And, of course, if you're on the go um, and you need to be mobile, the S1100 is the one for you. You can check out the entire line of Fujitsu ScanSnap scanners over at e. Z dot com slash S S M P U. And that will let them know that you came from us. And thanks to visit Jitsu for being a part of our show.
0: There was actually a lot of feedback on the vacation show and, um, and some of it was things we blew <laughs> and uh, starting with Harrison, who wrote in and said, you know, how come we didn't talk about Plex and uh, Plex? He uses Plex Inc. to download the media from essential library and it makes it really quick and easy. He said, the second is a Plex client can act as a server so the kids could all share media across the Wi-Fi or a USB travel router. And you know what? We just didn't talk about that. Now, you are a big. Are you still a big Plex user, Katie?
1: Yeah, I, ha- I use Plex. I like Plex um, partly because it's built into my new Sony or Samsung TV that I have. And so it's nice. I've got it set up on my Geriba.
0: Yeah, and then <laughs> he said the nice thing about it is because you use it um, – uh, from their devices without having to save it, they, he doesn't have to have six copies of Frozen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's important. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. He's uh, got to let it go. <laughs> I,
1: of course he does. Uh, Harrison also wrote in and told us about these mesh bags, and I've put a link to them in the show notes. Um, but they're little mesh bags, and they fold down to be very compact, and they're great for organizing small things like passports or cables, and they take up almost no room. Um, so those those are fun, too. I, I love bags. so. Uh, I'm actually backpack Espe- shopping es- right now
0: so es- especially cables because you know when you get when you go on these trips you do need we talked about you know like using the anchor device to to have five USB charging ports with one plug what I didn't mention is yeah and I need to bring along with me five cables to to be charging everything simultaneously which is kind of crazy you get a little mesh bag you just wad them up in there and then you don't have to worry about them exploding inside your luggage
1: or or um, ten if you take two of those little anchor things like you did. Yeah,
0: ex- exactly. Um, uh, now James wrote in, and uh, James um, is a, is a pilot, so he had some great ideas. Um, did we get? I'm not sure. Did you get the audio comment in time? He sent it. I in.
1: did. Are you ready?
0: Yeah, let's hear from James. Greetings to the Mac Power
7: users. I am Eric Shank, and this message comes to you from the surface of the sun, somewhere near Phoenix, Arizona. Last week on the Mac Power Users number 205 Vacations for Geeks, I noticed you made a brief mention of the unfortunate irregularity of quality Wi-Fi service in hotel rooms. Well, David and Katie, I believe I've solved the problem of guaranteeing solid Wi-Fi for performance for your next trip. Better yet, this solution is cost-effective and adds negligible weight and space to your luggage. So here's my tip. David and Katie, if you don't already have a travel router, that's right, travel router. Run out and get one on the cheap from Amazon for about $18. bucks. i have purchased the TP-Link model TLWR 702N wireless travel router. They call it nano-sized. Certainly, there are other models you can purchase. Apple makes the Airport Express, which does the same thing, but that'll set you back about $100. Bucks. The TP Link model is the most cost effective I've seen to date and much smaller than the Apple solution. This thing's called the TLWR702N. That's a mouthful for something that's really quite simple to operate. Plus, it's rated at four stars by over 700 customers on Amazon. This little guy is really small and light at only 2 by 2 by 0.7 inches for metric folks. Uh, That's about the size of a medium brownie. It's designed for use with tablets, smartphones, laptops, handheld game consoles, basically anything that needs a wireless connection. Also it supports encryption. I use this device in the uh, Wi-Fi repeater mode mainly since Wi-Fi seems more common in hotel rooms these days. It's also handy for turning a wired internet connection into a Wi-Fi hotspot. So if your room has a wired connection where the router is in the room, you can connect this device to it and create a Wi-Fi hotspot for 802.11 B, G, or N network compatibility. My unit shipped with a power cord and external charger, uh, though the unit can be powered by the USB port on a laptop. It's not really tough to configure this thing to extend your network. It's really just two steps, which include plugging it into your laptop, unfortunately not your iPad or your phone. So you'll need a laptop to extend existing Wi-Fi networks. Then you launch your browser and load your existing Wi-Fi network password into the unit uh, and that's it. Now you can disconnect it from your laptop and it will broadcast a strong Wi-Fi signal in your room. It's just that easy, it takes less than a minute uh, to turn your slow Wi-Fi connection, something that's very typical these days into a a solid, secure Wi-Fi signal in your room. Uh, As stated earlier, the travel router can also be used to create a Wi-Fi network from a wired connection. And if you do this, you do not need a laptop to configure it. Katie and David, thank you for your awesome work on the Mac Power Users Podcast.
0: That's my travel tip. Thanks, Airshack. Uh, The the point is, it doesn't make it faster. It makes it stronger. And when we were, I was corresponding with him an email about this and he had told me just the night before, because he's a pilot, he's always staying in hotel rooms, that it had tripled the strength of the Wi-Fi signal in his room just plugging in this $18 device. Um, you could also do this, and I think he mentioned it, you could do it with an Airport Express if you already have one. You could throw it in your bag as well. Uh, if, like me, if I travel a lot and my family's still home and I disconnect the Airport Express, I'm going to be getting angry, angry calls and phone <laughs> and emails from my family. Uh, so well, probably not emails. These... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, our network would still work, but uh, there would be, there would be some issues because I use the airport express in some unique ways, but the, uh, but you know, for $18 just to keep one in your travel bag is a pretty good idea. Sure. All right.
1: Um, uh, some other stuff is uh, we talked about a, a solar charger and I've always thought that solar chargers were really expensive and Ken says that he does a lot of kayaking and uh, camping and um, uses one, and he needs to be able to be reachable because he's usually the chaperone in one of those types of groups. And he has a freeloader solar charger that he's used for years. And the beauty of it is that you can um, recharge with the sun, obviously, without having any power, Um, and that it works pretty well. Uh, He's in um, Scotland, it seems like, Um, and even when there's not a lot of light, it seems to still be able to find a charge. And he sent us a link to it on Amazon, and I will put that in the show notes. And he also put in a tip about saving battery life uh, we recommended turning off uh, Wi-Fi as well as background uh, app refresh. But he, he said, and I didn't realize this until I checked it out, that by setting background app refresh to Wi-Fi only, that if you toggle Wi-Fi off in control center, um, then you've also toggled background app refresh off, too. So there you go.
0: I've been thinking about buying a solar charger because, yeah, I live in the land of earthquakes. And one of these days, the big one will hit. and We won't have power. and. I haven't, you know, if you look on this, it's like, there's two tiers of these. There's a bunch in the 30 to $40 range, and there's a bunch that are North of a hundred dollars. And I haven't really figured out what the difference is. I know, I guess there's the vector of how fast does it charge? And then the vector of how much of a charge does it hold? And I need to research that. It it seems like this would be a good thing for someone to, to write up anybody out there listening on the internet. Um, just a really good explanation of what the differences are between these solar chargers and what a good one is for a consumer, because I, I, I am unclear. Maybe uh, Dr. Drang will figure it out for me.
1: Mm, I asked Dr. Drang about power once and he said that he didn't do power.
0: Okay. But maybe somebody else might.
1: Yes. But I too would like to know about this because I would like to get one, but I don't really need one badly enough to spend hundreds of dollars on one. So if I could get one in the 30, or so dollar range that I knew was a pretty good one, and sounds like this may fit the bill. That would be great. So if you have recommendations, send them in.
0: Um, the last section here is what I call the airing of disputes. Um, we have a I couple don't ongoing know what you're issues. talking about. We have a couple of ongoing issues. Uh, the first one was I wasn't clear salu- what a salutation and the letter is, and Dale wrote in uh, very nicely and explained that the term is. Valediction for the end and salutation for the start.
1: I never would have gotten valediction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Me either. That's a new word to me. And then um, there is a lot of talk on Twitter and email about our discussion of Disneyland and, uh, and the Magic Kingdom. And just for the public debate that's going on, I want to be clear. I'm not comparing Disney World to the Anaheim Resort. I'm comparing Disneyland to the Magic Kingdom. The How? original awesome one versus the copy in Florida. And the last bit is the dashes versus periods. That, I'm have, just
1: saying that that sounds like you kind of trying to go back and hedge your bet a little bit and said, oh, no, I wasn't no, talking I about was, the whole park. I'm just talking about this little tiny, teeny, tiny thing.
0: You know, whenever you use your Max so, Sparky voice. Um, no, I wasn't way, my Max Sparky voice. Yes, you just you just <laughs> did. I could wind <laughs> it back. It, it 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 cuts me deeply. It does.
1: That that anyway, was that um, was my boy voice. That wasn't my Max Sparky
0: voice. Oh, so what is the Max Sparky voice? Is it worse? <laughs> I don't know. That's the one you just save for offline, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, the dashes versus periods thing. And I included, you know, there is a standard for uh, date formatting in documents It's called ISO 8601, which I will put a link in the show notes. And I, I included this in the more recent update to Paperless because I thought it was kind of interesting. And Aaron points out to me, you know, David, the ISO standard requires dashes, not periods. So uh, the internet is on my side. That's all think, I'm going to say.
1: I think you made that up.
0: It's going in the show notes. Okay. It's going in the show notes. All right. Okay, everybody. Uh, we made it through another live show. Thank you for sending the feedback in. Thanks to everybody who's in audio comments. And thanks everyone in the chat room. Um, uh, thanks you to our sponsors today. Uh, Gazelle, Saint, uh, Gazelle, Omnigroup, Linda,
1: and Fujitsu.
0: And Fujitsu. And uh, we will see you all uh, later this week. We've got another show coming up. You know, these these are bonus shows that we do on Feedback. Uh, Katie, where can you find us?
1: Well, you can find links to everything that we uh, talked about in this episode, I hope, uh, at uh, 5by5.tv slash MPU or at MacPowerUsers.com.
0: You can also send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And you can find us on Twitter. We're at Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd and I'm at Max Barkey.
1: All right. We'll talk to you next time.